0: Hi, everyone. My name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. It's been quite a while since I feel like I've actually been with you on a Sunday night. So it's really lovely to be here. When our church actually officially signed up with HOVC, it was just such an amazing experience. I remember we were traveling over there and we had a a really good mix of people with different skills. And one of the guys who came across spent 15 years in East Africa working there in an aid and development capacity and mission. And he just made this comment to us. He said, you know, all poverty is relational. That's rubbish. What do you mean by that? Like, all poverty is relational? It's because they don't have enough money. And you know, I didn't quite say it like that. Like, it's rude. I said, unpack that. What do you mean? And he said, well, all poverty is relational because poverty is the result of broken relationships. It's a broken relationship between the people and their government, between families that are broken down, between people and the environment in which they live. He said, when we go there, one of the things we need to look at is the relationships and how we can work with existing relationships and strengthen the relationships. it's just, like, stuck with me forever. And I just want to say that, like, the reason why Kathy and I have been supporters of HOVC and why we're wanting to promote this and put this before you is, is because it is not just an aid and development thing. This, this is relational, right? This is what Marion was saying. This is all about a relationship. And it is unique in that it's, it's one small church here in Australia partnering with one small organisation in a very specific part of the world. And we go every year, not like... For a holiday or anything like that, it's actually to maintain this relational connection. Because in the end, it's going to be love that changes the lives of these kids. It's not just because they get their school books and their school uniforms paid for. It's not just because they get sponsored and they get water tanks. It's actually because they're an environment. And I've been there with the leaders. Like, they love the kids. They genuinely love the kids, and the kids know that they are loved. For many of those kids, they have no, no immediate family around them, but they are loved. I think as the older we get, we actually realise that the greatest gift that anybody can give us is to love us. You understand what I'm saying? The greatest gift that we can ever receive from someone is to be loved by them. And we then begin to reciprocate that and understand that the greatest gift that we can give to anyone is to love them. I think we grasp this intuitively, even as children, and in a perfect world, this is the way it should be, that even as a really young child, we experience the love of our parents and it becomes a place where we are safe. It it helps us thrive and grow. Uh, But then as we get older, we realise that it's not just our mum and dad who should love us, but there are actually this network of people. Uh, We actually have other family members uh, who will also love us. And then we discover that there are people who we are not related to who become like family. Have you ever experienced that? Friends are the family that God gives you to make up for your family. I'm not quite sure that's right, but you know what I mean by that. There's a sense in which we develop friendships that have such a depth, and some of them we end up asking to marry us, right? Or one of them, probably, not just some of them. But, so that would be wrong. You know what I mean by that? Like There are friendships that we develop that become... I've got you all thinking about that now. <laughs> we have friendships that become stronger. you know. And the Bible talks about that. There is a friend who is closer than a brother. And we experience that. Hopefully we experience that. And that's the context in which we understand that that love is the greatest gift that we can receive from another person and love is the greatest gift that we can give to them the message tonight is really simple what i want to talk about is the prayers in Ephesians 1 to 3 like we've been tracking through Ephesians 1 to 3 we skipped over one of the prayers in Ephesians chapter 1 and we're coming to the one in chapter 3 and those prayers reflect i think like the essence of Ephesians 1 to 3 in what Paul wants us to know it's a really simple message and that is that you are loved by god this is what Paul wants you to know, that you are loved by God. And it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive from him, to be loved by him. When I read the book of Ephesians, I think it's Paul's favourite letter that he ever wrote. Even though he was in jail when he wrote it, there's just this sense of joy in there. Because you know that like all the other letters that Paul wrote to churches, it was like, if you've been called into the principal's office, that's not a good thing, right? Right? It's like, you know, Stephen Bates, would you please report to the principal's office? You know, like, that's not a nice thing to hear. I imagine that these churches in Corinth and Philippi and particularly Galatia, there's this letter that arrives one day at the church. It would be delivered by someone, and it's, uh uh-oh, it's a letter from Paul. Because when Paul wrote a letter to churches, it was because something was off track, but not for Ephesians. Like, he writes this letter to Ephesus. There's no heresy he's needing to correct. There's no conflict that he's trying to say, guys, seriously, stop fighting with each other. What is wrong with you? And there's also no behaviour like, you did what with your mother-in-law? Don't you know that that is so unchristian? And that's in Corinth. Don't look it up. Um, but uh, it's serious. it's like, you she's 16 or older. But there's this sense in which when Paul writes this letter to Ephesus, there's no agenda. It's just simply this expression of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so chapters 1 to 3 are just this beautiful description of how God loves you. And that's what He wants you to know. That God loves you. You got that? That's a really easy message, isn't it? It's going to get go a little bit deeper than that, but not much. <laughs> it's going to be that simple. Uh, that God loves you. There are these two prayers. Both of them begin with three words for this reason, for this reason. And uh, if you've got your Bible with you, it's going to be. Much easier for you to track through with me, but I'm going to start with the first prayer in in chapter 1. And you may remember way, way, way back, like three weeks ago, like forever, Trav preached on Ephesians chapter 1. And so as part of Paul talking about how much God loves us, he unpacks all of the spiritual blessings that God has given us. It's not just one. He goes on and on about spiritual blessings. And it's an incredibly long sentence. Paul likes long sentences. Uh, and he says uh, in chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, not with one or two spiritual blessings, but with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on to actually say what those blessings are. We are chosen in him, this phrase, in Christ, or in him. We are chosen in Christ. We are adopted Sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Uh, What else do you say? We have redemption. We have forgiveness. I'm just jumping down through these. In verse 13, if you're following through, we were included in Christ. And when we believed, we were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so Paul goes through and he unpacks all of the blessings that have come to us because of God's love for us. The way it works for Paul, and this is how I imagine it, he's in, he's in jail, right, and so he's pacing around, dragging his chain or whatever, but he's, he's, just, he's getting worked up here. He is so excited about the blessings that he has received. It's like he just bursts out into this, is it prayer or is it praise? Right? Yes, it's both. It's this prayerful praise or praiseful prayer or whatever it is that he bursts out with. The first one is Ephesians one fifteen to 23. I don't believe that these prayers should be exegeted or pulled apart bit by bit, so I'm not going to do that for you tonight. I just want to make a couple of points. In both of these prayers, Paul has talked about what's taken place in the past and then he lands himself in the present and says, this is what I'm praying for and I want to talk about the future as well. And so we see this in this passage. There's just a couple of phrases. I keep asking, I keep asking, I keep asking. I love that phrase. I say, "I keep asking that our glorious Father may give you the spirit, the wisdom and revelation. I just love that phrase. Wisdom and revelation. Like we live in an information age. You understand what I mean by that? In our age, information is power and information means money. We have so much information. For those of us who are over 45 or so, we remember a time where you could have a disagreement at the table and you would just disagree. What happens now when you have a disagreement at the table? Right, you pull out your phone. You, who said that? You Google it. That's what you do. That's right. Like, it's serious, isn't it? It's like We have so much information just at our fingertips. But I was listening to a guy talk about this on the radio some months back. Like We live in an information age, but we have so much information, we don't know where to find wisdom. Oh, I thought that was really profound coming from a non-Christian. We have so much information, but we can't find wisdom. Because, see, wisdom is actually knowing what to do with information. Wisdom is actually knowing the right thing to do at the right time. And Google won't tell you that. Like, seriously, you type it in, what should I do now? At, you know, What's the right thing for me? You won't know. It can't help you. We have so much information, but we lack wisdom. Paul says this. He prays this 2,000 years ago. For someone to pray for this for you today is still a good thing, and for you to pray this for somebody else today is a good thing. I pray, I ask, I keep asking that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you would know him. That you would know him better because it all comes down to relationship. We don't want to know things just for the sake of knowing things. What's the point of that? We want to know things that actually make a difference to life. We want to know things that make a difference to our lives and make a difference to the lives of others. And for that, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. The Holy Spirit will give you a revelation of God, not for the sake of knowledge itself, but so that you would know him better. I just love that. That's like the, the now bit. That's what Paul is asking for them. And that's what we should be praying for ourselves and for others. But there's another beautiful thing in there too. He's, and this is part of the asking. And it's another one of no. And he says that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And this, this is where Paul was looking forward, looking into the future. Paul's writing this from jail. His prospects aren't good. He's not getting out. Well, not alive anyway, like we know that. But he talks about a future hope. He talks about a hope to which all of us are called to. And then he launches into this just incredible description of this future hope. Uh, I pray that you uh, look at the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people uh, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. What he's saying is I may be in jail, right? I may be in chains, but I just want to tell you that there is a hope that cannot be taken away from us. because Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, is above every power. And he has this fivefold description. He talks about authorities and dominions and powers and even names or whatever, and you can add politics... You, you know, I've never heard anyone in Australia say they want to grow up and be a politician. Jesus is above the name of every politician as well. It's like, you know, you think about anyone in power at a political. Our military, or even at a spiritual realm. And what Paul's saying, you know, there is a hope that we have because Jesus, the one who is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, is above everything and everyone. And our hope is in him. Promise is Jesus. Our answer is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. And there is nothing that stands against us. Paul says, You're loved. And I want you to know that. So I pray these two things, that you would know it, know it, not just in your head, but that by wisdom and by revelation you would know it deeply and also that you would know that you have a hope and a future that cannot be taken away from you. Beautiful prayer, isn't it? There's a second prayer in there as well. The two Bens have been running through this over the last couple of weeks. And really there's this sense of what you were and what you are now. Do you remember the, oh please, remember Ben's sermons, the two Bens sermons? They were great. Listen to them. You were dead. This is what we sung about tonight. You were once dead, but now you are alive. You are alive in who? In Christ, that expression again. This is what you were. This is what you are now. Uh, And he just goes through that. And um, there's just this whole range of things that he describes about what we were and what we are now. And he said, by the way, don't get big-headed about it because it's got nothing to do with you. This is only by grace. This is the one two weeks ago. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can I just say the love of God is a gift to you? It's not something you strive for. The love of God is a gift to you. You cannot earn it. It does not matter what passed. You were once dead. You were once this. You were once that. It does not matter. God loved you through that time. What doesn't matter is what you were. What matters is who you are now and the choices you make now. And Paul says, receive it as a gift not a striving, but as a gift of grace. <laughs> the reason it's a, it's a gift is so that you can't boast. Hey, I'm a Christian because I'm a better person. Paul says, that's just absolute rot. He said, the only, only way that you're a Christian is simply because of God's grace in your life and your receiving of that. And he goes on. He says, remember what you were uh, at one time. This is the second part of chapter 2. You were excluded. You were foreigners. But he says, but that's all changed now. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. But you are those who have been brought into God's family. And there's just this beautiful verse in chapter 3, verse 12, which is kind of where the for this reason gets from. And this is what it says. Paul says, in him, that is Christ, in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Isn't that beautiful? Can you imagine that? We may approach God with freedom like a freedom from our past, a freedom uh, from the the shame and the guilt which we carry. We approach the Creator, uh, the one who is over all things, the one who made things, the one who loves us. We can approach him with freedom and with confidence, not with fear, not with trembling, but with freedom and confidence. And this is where the second for this reason jumps in.
1: Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations ever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. Did you see the themes come through again? One is the power, like there is no power above Christ. And this is the future part. How do we know that we have a hope in Christ? It's because uh, there is nothing that God cannot do. There is no one above him. Uh, There is nothing that can thwart his plans. And so Paul prays, You know, I pray that he may strengthen you with power. And then he says it again, and I pray, and this is the love fit, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, combines the two, together with all of of the Lord's holy people, to grasp. I love that word grasp. Again, it's not just know to have some intellectual assent that God loves me, but to actually take hold of, that's what it means, like to grasp, to actually take in your hand and bring it to yourself that you would grasp God's love for you. How wide it is, high it is, how deep it is, whatever. Again, just the imagery is so rich. He prays that we would grasp, take hold of the fact that he loves us. Can you pray for someone like that? Would you pray for someone like that? As part of your ask prayers, I ask that, my friend, I ask that I would grasp, not just understand, not just know, but I would grasp the extent Of God's love for me. Paul wants you to know that you are loved. It's kind of like all of chapters 1 to 3. 4 to 6 will unpack what that looks like to actually live as people who are loved. But he wants you to know that you are loved and he wants you to live loved. Is that a little bit cryptic? You know what I mean by that phrase? Live loved. You can put extra words in. Live as though you are loved, but that takes up too much room. Okay? Live. And it's easy to remember. Can you remember that? Live loved wants you to know that you are loved by God and he wants you to live loved. I just want to give a little bit of practical stuff in here because I don't think it's as easy as it sounds. I think it's a really simple message but it's not as easy to live out in practice. I think one of the things that's important to know in the how do we live loved is to actually acknowledge that there are a couple of lies that we often buy into. The first lie goes like this, that if you loved me, you would do this for me. Uh, now, that's actually really manipulative when somebody says that to you. Uh, and it's a thing that a child sometimes does. Maybe when you go to high school, you're still doing it. Uh, I've met some adults who do it as well. But, but, but it's this sense of which, if you really loved me, you'd do this for me. Or if you really loved me, you'd do that for me. If you really loved me, you'd give me this. If you re- and we can do that even with God, can't we? God, if you loved me, you wouldn't let me have a bad day. God, if you loved me, you'd give me a new car. God, if you loved me... You'd- I don't know, you just make my life better. There's this sense in which this is a lie we buy into. If you loved me, you would do this for me. Is that how love works? Mm. See, love is freely given, it's freely received. It doesn't come with strings. And our expectation of like, well, love means that you're going to do this for me, or love means that you it's just taking it the wrong way around. Love is intensely practical. I get that. And we'll talk about that over the next five weeks when we look at the actual living out of what it means to live loved. But love isn't manipulative. Love doesn't demand that other people do what we want them to do. If you find yourself in a relationship like that, get out of it. That's not love. That's controlling. But it's a lie we buy into that if you loved me, God, then you would do these things for me. You know, when Paul talks about all the spiritual blessings, none of them are tangible things like, you know, if you're loved by God, you're going to get a new car. If you're loved by God, you're going to find the perfect partner to marry and your life will always be happy. You're going to have two and a half children and they three, let's say. Some of you will have two, some will have three. That will average it out. It's better than two and a half. It doesn't work like that. All of the blessings that Paul talks about are things like our relationship with him. We are adopted into a family. We have forgiveness. We are chosen by him. The other lie I think we buy into is a little bit more of a a self-loathing one. And I fall into this one at times. And it goes like this, that if if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me, because I don't think I'm a very nice person. And sometimes we can apply that to God as well, that we actually find it really hard that God would love me, because I know how bad I am, and he definitely knows how bad I am. And So how could this amazingly good God love someone like me? I think I've lived enough years and spoken with enough parents to actually understand, and I feel like I understand it, I don't just know it, but I feel it with parents, when they talk to me about how much they love their children but their children won't believe it. Can you imagine that as a parent? And for a parent, they just want their child to know how much their child is loved. But there's something within the child that keeps saying that they're not worthy of being loved, that they don't deserve to be loved. That There's this barrier that I just can't accept the fact that I would be loved unconditionally by anyone. See, it's a lie we buy into that if people really knew me, then you wouldn't love me. The reality is that God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly who you are. And he's known exactly who you've been all through your life. And the message is the same, that he's always loved you and he always will. That doesn't change. So what do we do with these lies? Uh, I think the first thing I just want to say is can you swap those lies for the understanding that love is a gift, not a prize? Does that make sense? Love is a gift, not a prize. What I mean by that is we don't earn it. It's given to us. Genuine love is given unconditionally. It's, It's not a prize. It's a gift. But in the same way, the way in which we love should also be the same, that we love people simply for who they are not because they've deserved it. So think of that instead. Swap the lies that love gives me entitlement or that um, I'm not worthy of love for this one, that love is a gift, not a price. But the other thing I just want to say and to finish with is this, that live loved in community. Live loved with others. You're not alone in this world. Even when you feel it, you're not alone. God has promised us his Holy Spirit. And if you're going to try and do the Christian walk by yourself, it's going to be a dismal failure. He's given us his presence through his Holy Spirit to walk with us in this. So live loved by walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Get to know him, walk with him, and listen to him. Allow him to reveal God's word to you. Live loved in community through the Holy Spirit. But then also live live loved in the community of faith. I don't expect everybody to love everybody because that's kind of a bit weird and a bit hard in a church of 600 odd people. But I would hope that everybody here is loved by someone within this family of believers. I don't think our love should be excluding of anyone, but do the journey with others. Live loved with other people.
1: Learn what it means
0: to receive love from others and learn what it means to give unconditional love to one another. We're going to, over the next few weeks, unpack what it looks like to live loved, to actually live as the people whom God loves. But just those two for tonight, can you remember that love is a gift, not a prize? And can you remember not to do the journey alone? Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you because at times it just seems ridiculously amazing and generous and undeserved, and that's exactly what it is. It is a gift that you give to us. Father, thank you that despite who we are, despite what we've done, despite even what we are going to do in the future, uh, your love for us is constant. It really does not end. You give us your love as a gift and you just simply ask us to respond. Uh, So Father, I just want to pray for every person in this room tonight and I want to ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would actually just nudge them. Um, just work in their heart work in their heart and their mind and would you speak to them about who they are that they are regardless of who they are that they are loved by you and that you are calling them to take hold of that to grasp that and to accept your gift of love and Father I I just pray uh, for, for those for whom that may be a weird or a strange thing that you would give them a real sense of peace about that And I just want to ask, like, if that is you, and you go, you know what, I really struggle with the concept that God loves me, can you just now, in the quietness, just confess that to God, and maybe use words like this, uh, Father, I thank you for your love, even though I find it hard to grasp, but Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you show me how much you love me, and give me the faith and the courage to take hold of that. So if you can pray that, that's a really good start. So, Father, we are loved by you. Father, bring that to mind throughout every aspect of our lives this week, that no matter where we've been, what we're doing, and where we're going, that your love for us is constant. And you call us to grasp it, to take hold of it, not just to understand it, but to live in it, and to reflect it out to others. May we be those who live loved for your glory. Amen.